when you're in your prime, you, you never have it out of your hands for a moment. And, and it's something that belongs to you for all, all of the day. You never close the case. Hi, I'm Sean Perrin, and you're listening to the Clarinet Podcast, the show for clarinetists looking for in-depth, career-accelerating conversations about all that's neat for clarinet. On today's show, the legendary Stanley Drucker returns for the third time. We discuss his move to California from New York, what some of his hobbies were during his busy career outside of music, and of course his latest CD release, the Heritage Collection Discs 8 and 9. As a Clarinet listener, you can get a signed copy of these discs at digitalforce.com by using code CLARINET89 with your purchase. That's CLARINET89, all one word, with your purchase at digitalforce.com. Before we get started today, I'd like to thank our season sponsors, Legere Reads and Bakun Musical Services for making today's show possible. Imagine a read that lets you focus on your music, lasts for months instead of days, and even saves you money in the long run. It's all possible with Legere Reads, the world's leading synthetic read brand made right here in Canada. The European cut read is preferred by Legere artists all over the world, including Eddie Daniels, David Schifrin, Crowder Giuffredi, and many others. It offers a warm, clean sound with a great ease of articulation and is now available for E-flat, B-flat, and the bass clarinet. Learn more at your local music store. Or you can now save 10% on your Legere reads with code CLARINET at checkout at Legere.com. That's L-E-G-E-R-E dot com. The new Bakun Q-Series clarinet features a completely redesigned bore inspired by the Bakun Custom Series clarinets. This means you can play and perform like the pros, but for less. Use code CLARINET at BakunMusical.com to save 10% on your entire purchase and try the Bakun Q-Series or Protégé clarinet risk-free for 30 days. Just pay the return shipping if you aren't fully satisfied. Shop now at BakunMusical.com and use code CLARINET at checkout. I'm here on the podcast today with the wonderful Stanley Drucker for the third time, but he's coming to us this time not from New York, but actually from California. So Stanley, welcome back to the podcast. Well, thank you. Happy to be here. You are known, of course, for living in New York and performing with the New York Philharmonic over the years, but you currently find yourself in California. And I think that an update is due just in general for for kind of how you've been the last couple of years, especially since we last chatted, which amazingly was already three years ago. Right. It, 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 the, you know, it, it, it's just a, a normal uh, transition. Uh, we got a, you know, an offer on our house and uh, we figured we'd be ne- nearer our adult children uh, who live in California, our son Lee and uh, our daughter Roseanne. So uh, it, it was just, it, just a normal kind of a transition. Moving out there, you must be enjoying the weather a lot more, though. Well, you know, they they do have, uh, you know, change of seasons, but no snow. <laughs> you know, it's funny because it's, uh, it's April 13th when we're recording this today, and I'm experiencing a blizzard outside. And I often say this here on the podcast, but I'm very uh, jealous of our American guests sometimes and their, their wonderful locations. I sure would like to be in California right now, that's for, that's for <laughs> sure. <laughs> So, Stanley, I want to get started. I want to talk today about your heritage collection um, and, a few, and a few other things. But um, first of all, how have you been the last two years as music has kind of been put on hold around the world and now that it's sort of just coming back? Yes. You know, I feel sorry for my colleagues uh, everywhere uh, who have sort of been, uh, you know, on hold uh, uh, where, where performance, live performance seems to be, you know, 
a major event if you can get it done, you know. And uh, uh, you know, it's very hard to uh, to uh, perform, uh, you know, for a live audience where where you have the energy, you know, coming from that audience, uh, where where everything is spread out and 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 the, and the uh, just not the full effect of a live performance. I agree. I think there's so much that's lost when we take things away completely, of course, but but also when they shift online. Um, did you yourself participate in very many kind of online musical endeavors? I, I basically did what was coming along the pike. There were some, you know, uh, small ensemble things, and and one of them. Uh, we had we finished two rehearsals and it would have two more and and uh, it got canceled because of covid it was in new york and it was at the 92nd cy which is a famous venue for chamber music yes and this was canceled and actually this delayed the the release of this cd project as well i heard jerry uh bunky was telling me about that yeah probably so yeah i i think what he's done is an incredible work uh, you know, putting such a varied collection together, and you know, it's, it's, it combines recording with uh, with live and uh, and uh, historic, uh, particular you know events, uh, and uh, he's just to be complimented for that. This heritage collection is is really uh, a joy to me. I mean, you know, if you think of the past and the players of the past, you might have heard them in one. Uh, piece somewhere and and uh, and maybe they you heard them uh, orchestrally where they had their their you know orchestral uh, solos but you, 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 to get a collection like this i think it's really a, it's a joy to me it covers such a span of history well you know i've been thinking about this heritage collection because i remember when the first i believe it was five discs came out right and then there was disc six and seven and I was surprised to hear that disc eight and nine had also been released because we're now approaching, you know, over 10 hours of music that you've released just on this collection. And uh, I thought about it and I realized that you played over 10,000 concerts with the New York Phil. That's what they say, you know, and I, I never doubt what they said. <laughs> well, if you start doing the math, though, I'm not sure if anyone's done the math here before, but, you know, let's assume that an orchestra concert is you know, an hour and a half, two hours long, conservatively. If, if you do the math, that's over 20,000 hours of just New York Phil concerts, not taking into account any rehearsals, um, which is 850 days worth of music. So <laughs> that's just the New York Phil. You've played an incredible amount of clarinet, probably more than maybe any other person. Well, it was, we were, we were always uh, uh, current and, and we, you know, we had, the various types of music that we could, you know, go to in, in performances. You know, I think of so many uh, over the years, a uh, pretty full memory bank with this stuff. And uh, and uh, there have been exciting moments, I would say that. Absolutely. And so you talked a little bit with Ed Jaffe about how at the beginning of your career, so many of these pieces were all new to you, of course, as, as they are to any clarinetist. Every piece is new, right? I was wondering if we could reflect a little bit, though, on some of the pieces, like, for example, Debussy or, or Berg. These pieces, when you were younger, 
they literally were also new as well, but they've, they've since kind of moved more into a, a genre which is, is, you know, viewed now as rather contemporary. But of course, there's new music of today. So these pieces have, have matured. So I was wondering if we could reflect on, on specifically some of the pieces on this disc set, the Brahms, the Berg, the, the Debussy, that have sort of grown up with you. Like they say the history of the orchestra is in you, and, but also in, in a lot of these, these pieces for clarinet. So, so how have these pieces matured and, and looking back? Like what is it like playing them today or reflecting on these performances versus when you were younger studying them as well? The ideal is to rethink them and, uh, and try to make them fresh, uh, uh, and and it, if you have changes to make, make them. You know, uh, because your uh, you know your outlook, your experience, life experience has, has changed. You know, increased, and you want to you want to give a fresh feeling to to these pieces. And uh, uh, they, for instance, Debussy on the set, uh, they have one of the uh, discs has has it with piano. And another disc has it with the orchestra, with uh, Philharmonic, New York Philharmonic, and Leonard Bernstein conducting. So you get a different, uh, a different uh, feeling, you know, with the full palette of, of a whole orchestra as opposed to just the keyboard. I'm curious, which version of those two pieces do you prefer to perform, or do you like, or they both kind of got their own flavor? Oh, I think I think that we're so used to, to hearing it probably more with piano than with orchestra, but. There's a difference, you know, uh, because the the color with orchestra of uh, the instruments uh, adds something to uh, to the to the entire piece. Where just with piano, it's I mean it's, it's certainly valid, and and uh, it was sanctioned, I guess, by the composer. And uh, but the uh, the orchestral the orchestral uh, version, I think, has a little more uh, a little more color. And, uh, you, you know, it's a, the total effect is very different. You know, I have to agree with you. It's, it's interesting, though, because Debussy wrote this piece first for piano for the competition, um, you know, I think it was in 1910. And then the year later, he realized it for orchestra. But strangely enough, it actually works, in my mind, better for orchestra. Kind of just the way, you know, like Prelude to the Afternoon of a Fawn works so well. Debussy's writing just suits orchestral playing so well. Yeah, it's a full palette, I'll tell you. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you know, another one that was originally with orchestra, originally with orchestra was the the, the slow movement of the Corigliano concerto, where where you know, of course, everybody was heard the the orchestral performance. I mean, I mean, I'm on two recordings for that, but uh, the the. Uh, the one he calls it soliloquy, a clarinet and string quartet, is one of the performances on on volume eight of eight and nine, and uh, you know it uh, it really uh, ha- brings back uh, uh, a very very intimate uh, you know uh, uh, lovely uh, homage to his father to John's father. Absolutely, yeah. And so some of these pieces you're saying have been sort of transformed over the years for different, um, almost different playing situations, right? To make them more, the ability to play them more. Yes, that's true. Another in- uh, interesting uh, uh, work on the, on the on this set is the double clarinet concerto of Maya Kupferman. 
that we performed that in, on Long Island for the premiere, uh, and uh, and then we did it in the, in Prague at the Vojak Hall uh, with the Czech National Orchestra. So it 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 uh, it got it got uh, it got to travel a little, and uh, that was a fun thing. Uh, we 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 all came. Meyer came to uh, to Prague, uh, and uh, there was an American conductor, Paul Freeman, who conducted it. And the the hall was wonderful. It's right on the it's right on the on the banks of the of the uh, Moldau, you know, the Vltava, the the, uh, the river. It's a wonderful atmosphere. So there's so many beautiful pieces on this this set and throughout the other CDs of the set. But there's also so many pieces that clarinet players perform nowadays and have kind of gravitated towards, like the WC Brahms, etc., that have become very common. But I, I couldn't help wondering that over your career, are there any pieces that you remember playing when you were younger that were quite popular that have since fallen out of favor that maybe we should rediscover? Well, some of the I think that some of the early 20th century American composers, Mason, Daniel Gregory Mason, for one, uh, uh, Gordon Jacob. Uh, uh, then there's some international uh, composers from other countries that that uh, are represented. Even even a part of the uh, the domains, the planet solo by Pierre Boulez, and and even a duet by Alfred Prince, which is a real doozy. I think it's for B flat and A clarinet. You mentioned playing pieces and, and trying to keep them fresh, which you know is an incredible feat for having played over, I think you're entering your eighth decade of association with the New York Philharmonic. So keeping you know, pieces fresh over that kind of career is, is, is incredible achievement for anybody. But how do you think that younger players should try to approach pieces in a fresh way in light of all the recordings and, and performances of these pieces that have existed over the last 80 years as well? It's it's a labor of love. You know, one one tries to uh, rethink a little bit some of these pieces and uh, and uh, you know ha- have different ideas about some of the phrasing perhaps and uh, the articulation, the dynamics. There there are there are ways of 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 uh, you know reliving these works, uh, but uh, with with a slight uh, slight change here and there. Uh, because uh, you don't want it to just be one one uh, style or one tempo. Yeah, I feel so many players try to recreate the recordings that they've listened to in this day and age. Yeah, well, you know, there were some, uh, over the years, there have been some, you know, uh, wonderful recordings uh, of, of, these, of this clarinet repertoire that we all claim. And, uh, and, uh, Certain things get get passed by, you know, where they rarely hear anymore. You know, even even uh, generally in music, uh, how many how many piano recitals uh, that you don't hear anymore? You know, uh, look at all the, the wonderful uh, works for string quartets that you don't hear anymore very often. You know, so there is a transition and. Uh, and now I think the public is more used to hearing a, a, a bit of a piece and not the whole piece, uh, the way things are today, you know. Uh, I think the, 
the listening to sitting down and, and listening to an entire Mahler symphony, it doesn't happen that often in 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 recorded uh, recorded music. You know, it's so interesting you say that because people do tend to pick and choose what they listen to on their 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 phone or their computer or whatever. They listen to a minute or two of something, and you, you really don't get the, uh, the the entire experience. Yeah, or, or the focused kind of listening that used to happen. I mean, people will sit and play on their phones or cook dinner or do everything else while they listen. But in the past, it was very much like, you know, you had to sit in the concert hall and, and focus and, and listen to the music only. There was nothing else to do. The problem has been that most of the concert halls were shuttered in this pandemic. So uh, I, I feel sorry for the for young colleagues who are starting out and, and, and not bringing their their art to to the to a general public it's, it's been tough you know the arts have certainly suffered no question about it absolutely and it's it's sad too how i think this was really two years without live music i mean so many people missed out on on really discovering oh definitely so i i want to ask and this is not directly related to the clarinet but um I was thinking because we talked on one of the last episodes about how you spent a lot of time traveling to and from rehearsals. And uh, we, we talk about how many concerts you played over the years. Um, that's also a lot of kind of travel time and, and downtime. And of course, you had to sleep and, and you know, have weekends and <laughs> normal activities. You had children as well. What other kind of you know hobbies throughout your life have you been interested in and, and taken? Uh, one thing uh, we used to we used to. Uh do some long distance uh, pleasure boating. Ah, okay. We had a small uh, uh, power boat that was 30 foot, uh, you know, with cabin and fly bridge. And, and, and in the, in the free time in the free uh, weeks that we had mostly in the summer, either early or late summer, uh, we would, we'd go to many different distant places, like from where, where we were living on, on the south shore of Long Island, we would we'd go from Sag, Sag Harbor in Montauk to Block Island, to Martha's Vineyard, to Nantucket, to Cape Cod, and uh, and and surrounding waters also. Always, uh, you know, bays and coves and towns and up the Connecticut River and uh, uh, up the Hudson uh, uh, to various places. In fact, one one trip we went, we went through the through a bit of the Barge Canal, the Hudson River into the Barge Canal, and went all the way to Ithaca. Wow! You need weeks to uh, to make those trips, because when you're traveling at ten miles an hour, you know it takes you a while to get there, and then you got to contend with fog or or wind or, or uh, you know various weather conditions, sea conditions. I, everybody's a novice in that, and I, we, I certainly was a novice uh, throughout those years. But I, I, I guess I was was determined to to do some of that, and and uh, that's that's uh, basically what our, our summers were. And I, in fact, I even played some concerts uh, uh, along the way. I was on a series twice in Martha's Vineyard and one in Nantucket. So I did. I did get to you know to actually play a little bit. Amongst your amazing career, and you know 
taking these summers to travel and, and raising two children and, and um, you know, all these, these activities. I mean, the average person, I mean, we discuss on this podcast a lot about like successful clarinet players and building a career and, and uh, you know, becoming successful for oneself. But successful people seem to have the ability to switch their mind kind of from one thing to the next. Like if I had, you know, even one concert coming up, I think I'd have trouble you know, relaxing to take a vacation, for example, but you talk about switching between these kind of things with such ease. Do you think you have a special ability to focus and then distance yourself from that focus when needed? When you're, when you're in your prime, you, you never have it out of your hands for a moment. And, and it's something that, that uh, belongs to you, uh, you know, all, uh, you know, for, for all, all of the days, you know, you, uh, you, you you really uh, never never you never close the case. <laughs> yeah, it's true, it's true. So I, th- I think that that's you know a real testament to those listening. I mean, I was at a school the other day, coaching some some kids, young kids, and their teacher ha- had asked them to fill out a practice sheet for you know an hour a week. I think is what he was asking. And I mean, you're you're when you're doing what you're doing and with the passion and level of interest that you're doing it. I mean, you've, you've got a point there. You've got a repertoire that that, that some of which uh, comes along uh, of you know very difficult works, and uh, you have to really know what's going on in those pieces. So it takes extra work. I mean, everything isn't a, a Mozart symphony or a Haydn work. You know, it, uh, some of some of these uh, new pieces or newer pieces uh, were very tough and and required actual practice. Absolutely. And you mentioned in another interview in the past as well um, about how you would practice and, and get better kind of based on the needs of the day. Like you, because of all the music that you were playing, I mean, your practice would consist of getting better on those pieces. I always felt that one should practice what they have to play. There's really, there's limited time especially if, if one has a full-time playing job, plus commuting, which takes a lot of hours, and, and touring, which we did constantly, and, and recordings uh, were going on also all, all the time over the, those years. Uh, it, it was, I remember a, a seven or an eight-week span without a day off, uh, and everything was being recorded you know, at that time. And, and either and there were several venues where recordings were done, or maybe three or four venues, and so each one was a little different in, in acclamation. So you had to you had to really sort of be in that groove. Did you have a special way of of having a piece that you were practicing um, because you're playing it of sort of getting around difficult passages or I mean some people will change the rhythm or make little etudes out of sections I mean what would a practice session look like well, you have to know what what is going on while while you're playing you know the, the music before you come in and after you play your last note in a, in a passage you have to know what's going on in it it's very very important and and uh, uh, you, you certainly you would have to have to have an idea of the, the overall piece, and not uh, not just the four bar exit. So, are you describing a fair bit of score study then? Well, there has to be. There has you have to know what's going on with your 
your little solo or big solo as it may be. I guess what I'm thinking though is this is so easy for people today because we can just throw on recordings like yours. But, but what was it like, you know, some of these pieces for the first time, even playing them and, and not having that technology? Yeah, there was no reference. You know, one had to guess at certain things, and and when you're young enough, uh, nothing will phase you. You know, you'll try it. Uh, you know, many ways, but. Uh, uh, these pieces, of, uh, some of the popular ones, the ones that get played all the time, one has a good reference. Uh, there must be, you know, a lot of performances of that. Uh, the recordings, of course, uh, were were a, a big a big part of it. Uh, not not in my year, early years. Uh, there were no very few recordings of uh, of clarinet works and. Uh, and there were a couple of definitive recordings of orchestral pieces with players of the past who, who uh, you know, you sort of, you sort of try to to do what they did, and uh, some of them were good examples. I thought. Uh, well, I think that's such an interesting insight is that you, you're focused on how you fit into the greater whole, even if it's a chamber piece with you know piano or clarinet. You're focused on that, and I, I wonder if that's a real key to to any, even a younger student, like maybe not to stay so focused on just what they're playing. You have to fit in, in, in the, in the whole palette, you know, that, uh, what, whatever you're working with, you try to enhance others and, uh, and hopefully others will try to enhance you. Absolutely. So you mentioned on a past episode of the podcast here as well, and it's something I thought about in the last couple of years, uh, a fair bit, because I have recently had to start saying no to things because I've got two children now and I'm just very busy with a lot of stuff. And uh, no has become one of my favorite words because it gives me the control over my time. But um, I mean, I remember you saying in a past episode that one of the ways you found success in clarinet was to make sure you said yes to everything. So I felt a bit of a conflict about right. Never say no. <laughs> So we're kind of at odds. So where was the point in your life where you, if it came up, where you had to start saying no because there was just so much on your plate already? And, and how do you decide what to say yes to? Well, you know, the, I, I tried never to say no to any, any, any project. And, and, uh, and, and sort of had a routine where, you, where you, it was always in your hands. You know, uh, you, you never... You never close the, the case, that kind of thing. You know, and young, a young person has an advantage because they don't suffer as much as, as an older player, perhaps. It becomes more difficult to, uh, to stay focused uh, with their, uh, you, you, uh, you, uh, don't, you don't have the, the, you know, the joy of, of a younger player uh, discovering new things. And, and if, if there's an error, it it does it's not life and death yes yeah but let's say you had two opportunities that came up at, at one time like do you have a system or a method of deciding which one you would like to take or or well that's that that happened in uh, you know at times but you try to you try to do everything if you could uh, i i would say uh, it depends on on what it is it, what what hall if it's an orchestral thing you know what, what's the who's the conductor what's the the venue does does it does it uh, get reviewed do people hear it i mean uh, uh, it's not because one has to play 
for an audience. And uh, you can't just uh, sit uh, in, an, in isolation and and uh, and expect something to to uh, you know to communicate. That's what's been hard about these modern times with the whole pandemic is everyone's kind of just at home trying to make them make themselves online. You know, it's a worldwide problem still, but I think it's getting a little better. It's getting a little bit better now. So have you? come out of this with some new performances and uh, things that you're doing? I mean, you're still playing, which is incredible. I mean, they say you retired from the Philharmonic in 2009, but that word is definitely not. <laughs> if you can play, you play. And, and, that's, and that's the way I look at it. Uh, and, and, and try to, to, uh, to learn some of the new stuff and, and uh, to keep the old stuff fresh as you can. And... Uh, of course, not everything is going to be in the in, in a great hall or you know famous music uh, site, but it's still worth it. It's still worth it, and that's the whole point. And uh, of course, maybe you 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 don't uh, open as many read boxes at this point, <laughs> which is uh, <laughs> definite. And uh, in the old days, uh, you know, you were the reads were never ending. You know. Try to have a good a good read for for your run of concerts and rehearsals, and then hopefully have the next read ready for the same thing. It, it's it's uh, it was always a part of the routine. It was never ending. Luckily, we had uh, you know uh, companies like Van Doren, uh, Buffet uh, that were always on top of uh, at the cutting edge of, of everything and and uh, it, it was it was a wonderful partnership to have with, with these folks over this time coming forward out of this situation do you have any advice for you know players as they continue after this you know pandemic that we find ourselves in as, as they move forward you try to enjoy what you what you can do and and uh, you know, and try try pieces. You know, slightly different. That everything isn't in cast iron. You know, you can try a piece a little slower or a little faster. Try a different dynamic in a certain phrase or in solo. Uh, try just just experiment a little bit. And uh, if you're lucky, you can play in, in groups They're with good colleagues, and of course, you can play quintets uh, or trios or, or whatever, you know. Uh, and uh, it's it's an ongoing situation, you know, where, where one uh, is trying to make a statement, you know. And, and uh, if you're lucky, I mean, you get to play a lot of those. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's musical opportunity you have to kind of make it yourself as we come out of this. And uh, I think we can all bond together again as musicians by, by kind of stepping up and uh, you know, trying our best to, to bring it back. I mean, we forget that as players, we haven't been in the concert halls, but uh, many listeners and audience members haven't either. So we all have to kind of try to <laughs> get back together. And, and even as listeners, go to your friends shows, if you can lead, lead in that way, you know, I wanted to ask as well, so we have a question from a listener here who is asking what your warm-up routine has been like over the years, and has it changed, and 
you know, what kind of things would you play on stage before the concerts? Well, you, you, the first thing you have to know is, is if you start a note, it's going to start. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's, that's all involved with, uh, with, with the read, of course, and uh, your personal, uh, personal, uh, you know, relaxation or whatever you want to call it, calmness. And, and, and knowing what the, what is going to come out when you when you put the mouthpiece in your mouth, you know, and the, and and you're ready for the first entrance. It's it's it shouldn't be. You don't want to you don't want to get a surprise. Most surprises aren't aren't great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So predictability is what you're going for. Well, you want to know how what it feels what it feels like, you know, because every read is a little different. Uh, but sometimes the repertoire, uh, you know, re- requires certain things. It's, it's maybe with certain certain pieces, uh, you need a lighter read, uh, and and others you can, you know, do with a stronger read. But uh, it, 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 the thing is, don't be opinionated to the point of of not trying things. You have to try things. Well, some people have such a regimen, you know. Yeah, and I, I said it before, as far, as far as the practice goes, practice what you what you're going to be playing, because you can all the close and crepes and and John John and and it's all well and good. It helps. It tells the fingers where to go. But uh, you, you, if you have if you're playing a con- going to play a concert or a recital or. Chamber music, you, you know, know those pieces. Practice those pieces. So it sounds like your warm-ups. I mean, you, you said it yourself. The clarinet basically stayed out of the case and was always in your mouth. <laughs> so I, I suppose a warm-up is, is a bit of a, you know, when you're playing that much, the idea of a warm-up is not quite... Well, you do have to read. Reads do change, and some people uh, play sometimes in a high altitude or very dry... Uh, atmosphere, it, it, you know, you have more of a struggle in a way. Yeah, yeah. But I guess what's to warm up when the clarinet never gets cold? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, true. That's true. Well, uh, you know, uh, uh, if you if you know that, uh, you can perhaps uh, you know accommodate it. And 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 uh, I say that there's it's 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 a learning. You have to, it's a learning thing. You know, you you you, you know you have to know uh, what. What you're, what you're trying to achieve, what, what, uh, what the written page is telling you, and uh, and to, to, you know, to be ready for for anything. Because if you're playing in a band or orchestra, you have to you have to more or less uh, go with whatever the, the conductor is, is it requires, you know, and and you know that this con- one conductor wants this. Very soft. Another one wants it uh, very short or very loud. Or, you know, it's 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 it's, it's flexibility is a lo- is a big part of it. Uh, solo playing is, of course, you have more responsibility. Uh, where uh, where you know you're you're playing a, a piece specifically for your instrument, and there there's a little more leeway. You don't have to follow a conductor's beat. But uh, the certainly one flexible being flexible is a has has to be part of it, and uh, I, that will uh, 
I think once once you get the hang of that, and and don't uh, don't agonize over over every note, uh, you know, it's not. Uh, it's, 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 the recording may never change, but uh, you know, playing live is changing all the time. Yeah, I think if there's any sort of thread between, you know, we've now had three conversations, and and even some of the other um, interviews I've I've seen online. I think you're really you're so focused on making sure the music is fresh, but also being a flexible player who interacts kind of well with others because music music is a social activity, you know. Yes, uh, it, it helps. Yeah, and and you know you get in, in the in an orchestra, you get you know you get to know your colleagues, and and they know you, and you know what what has to come to the fore and what has to be in the background. Absolutely. So before we wrap up here, because I want to respect your time, um, but I wanted to ask you, because I don't think I asked this on any of the other two times that we've chatted, but is there anything that you sort of wish someone had asked you or would ask you on an interview like this that you've never been asked to talk about? Well, uh, I think you covered the salient points, you know, uh, involving uh, preparation uh, and uh, reads and and so forth. Uh, uh, I, I think flexibility is a very, it's, a, well, it's an easy word to use, but uh, uh, don't, you see, you have to have your own voice and, and your own concept. Uh, now you, and as you know, the, the, with clarinet, like many, many instruments, there's a, you know, there's uh, different styles or, or every or thing like that. Even in string instruments, uh, some play with a fast vibrato, some play with less, some play with long bow, others do a lot of uh, short phrases. You know, it's it's uh, with clarinet, it's the same thing. Uh, they, if if you if one can can have a concept of of, of what you think is is valid. And stick to it. Uh, when the chips are down, I think uh, uh, that helps. No, I think we covered just about anything. I think the repertoire is a, is a is a big thing. I think people should play the the the, the new pieces, and, and 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 some of them are not new pieces, but they they not they don't get played, you know. So I think uh, uh, to to expand your repertoire. And to and to uh, to try to get into the uh, the the uh, time period of it, you know, and and what you think uh, the composer meant in a particular style or phrase would be very valuable. I think that's a good point to continue to explore new pieces of today and really to push forward the clarinet into the future is a, is a great piece of advice. Absolutely, absolutely, because everybody plays the usual four pieces, you know. And uh, and you want to widen that a little bit. Well, thank you, Stanley, for coming on again today. Um, if you're listening to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it will end here. But for those who are supporting the podcast uh, behind the scenes at clarinet.com slash join, I've got a couple extra little questions for you. And I'm going to be talking to Stanley about some of the, the lightning round questions, which you've probably heard um, before talked about on this podcast. So we're going to focus on some sort of extra special little bits at the end. So thank you so much, Stanley, for coming on the show today. Okay. Okay. Imagine a read that lets you focus on your music, lasts for months instead of days, and even saves you money in the long run. 
It's all possible with Legere Reads, the world's leading synthetic read brand made right here in Canada. The European cut read is preferred by Legere artists all over the world, including Eddie Daniels, David Schifrin, Crowder Giuffredi, and many others. It offers a warm, clean sound with a great ease of articulation and is now available for E-flat, B-flat, and the bass clarinet. Learn more at your local music store, or you can now save 10% on your Legere reads with code CLARINET at checkout at legere.com. That's L-E-G-E-R-E dot -E com. The new Bakun Q-Series clarinet features a completely redesigned bore inspired by the Bakun Custom Series clarinets. This means you can play and perform like the pros, but for less. Use code CLARINET at bakunmusical.com to save 10% on your entire purchase and try the Bakun Q-Series or Protégé clarinet risk-free for 30 days. Just pay the return shipping if you aren't fully satisfied. Shop now at bakunmusical.com and use code CLARINET at checkout.